think you live in a money pit. Money pit. If your basement needs a pump, or your place looks like a dump, you live in a money pit. Money pit. Pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home. I call an eight 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 money pit. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Pick up the phone. Give us a call right now. The number is 1-888-MONEY-PIT, 888-666-3974. Call us right now if you have a home improvement question, especially if you own an old house. You know, the economy has forced millions of Americans to stay right where they are, and not many of you can afford to move on up. You're probably trying to improve what you have, or maybe your income level has changed and you now consider home improvement cost a luxury. We hear similar stories from so many of our listeners these days, and lots of you want to know where to spend those home improvement dollars so that you're getting the most bang for your buck. And it's exactly what the homeowners of the current This Old House renovation wanted to know. That's right. Well, we are bringing you a very special edition of The Money Pit today. We are on location at the current This Old House project just outside of Boston. And the focus this season is on quality, but at an affordable price. And you know, in this economy, isn't that really what we all want? Absolutely. And as you learn what went on in this renovation right here, you may learn something about your own house that will help you make an inexpensive fix. You know, Leslie, the homeowners bought this house five years ago knowing that work would eventually be needed and finally saved enough pennies to get that job started. A local architect helped design a small addition as opposed to, you know, gutting and renoing the entire house. And the result is phenomenal. It's an extra 330 square feet that includes, check this out, a new kitchen, a family room, and a home office, even a little library. I mean, they got a lot into this place. Mm -hmm. I know it sounds like a little bit of space, but when you see it, it really is huge and beautiful. So here to kick things off with more details is the host of this old house, our good friend, Kevin O'Connor. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you, guys. It's uh, always great to be back talking with you. Yeah, because it means you're just about done with the house. (laughs) (laughs) Not uh, our favorite day, but it's up there with a pretty good day. It's a busy one. Now, you guys put a lot into 330 square feet. Tell us about the project. Well, Tom Silva and his guys put a lot into 330 square feet, but I think it's a pretty (laughs) common story. You um, move into a neighborhood. Uh, You buy the house you can afford, and then you fall in love with your school system, uh, with your neighbors, or at least some of them. Uh, And as you grow, you want the house to grow Mm -hmm. with you. And so that's what this family did. They needed some more space, and they really hadn't touched the house. So the house hadn't been touched in about 70 years, so it needed Mm -hmm. to be updated. So it was a very modest um, but still impactful renovation. Mm -hmm. A kitchen that just didn't work. And imagine this, no upper cabinets, um, a little bathroom sort of tucked off of it, a choke point between the uh, small table and the refrigerator that no one could get by, and an old staircase that had been topped off was their pantry. Um, So not an ideal kitchen um, for folks who cook at home three meals a day. That was completely gutted, updated. We gave them a little more space by uh, taking some staircases and bringing them into the kitchen and using that space. And then a very small addition, 330 square feet, that got them a new family room, um, modest in size, a new powder room, and an additional home office and library because both mom and dad are writers and academics. Right. Mm -hmm. And And I think, you know, we're forgetting to mention that at the landing on this flight of stairs is this beautiful little library nook, which is all of what, six by six, but so many interesting little cabinets and a window seat. There's so much character that I think really, you know, and credit to the architect in this as well, that 
that the charm of the addition really works with the charm of the original project of the house. I, I agree 100%. Um, the architect nailed it with this one. And for two reasons, I think it really works. Something was there mm-hmm. um, when we got there at the landing of their uh, stairs was a wall of books and a window. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they really keyed off of that. But also, uh, they love books and they want to show them off, so they created a library. And usually when you hear someone say, oh, I'm doing a renovation with a library, you might want to choke on it. But as you say, six by six, a couple walls of shelves, some beautiful lighting, and that is it. But it makes all the difference. Kevin, when we tackle a project like this, very often there's trade-offs. What were some of those in this particular job? <clears throat> Square footage was definitely a trade-off. Um, they didn't go with the sort of big, giant, open plan with a family room mm-hmm. kind of sprawls from one end of the house to the end of the other end of the house. And so you end up with smaller spaces, and you've got to manage those. Right. If you have discrete rooms, how do you separate them? Pocket doors works in this case. Um, Siting them properly works in this case. Uh, and you also well, would love you to have a giant kitchen, one that um, incorporates not just the cooking areas and the eating areas, but nowadays people want sort of the mini home office mm-hmm. uh, where they can put the computer and drop all the books and stuff like that. Wasn't enough room, so out it went. You know, it just didn't fit. But that's okay. The kitchen's doing what the kitchen needs to do, and that is to feed the family, give them a place to sit and have meals together. And, and the it- result is really fantastic. Kevin, we're going to take a short break. Can you stick around? Absolutely, I'd love to. Great. You're listening to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. And we are coming to you today from the site of the current This Old House renovation. You know, old houses are great. I have one. You have one. I do. They're usually built very well. But are they energy efficient? We're going to clear up some old myths and teach you how to make your old house as efficient as possible after this. On the Money Pit Radio Show. Where home solutions live. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. We are celebrating old houses today on the Money Pit. In this economic climate, you might not be able to move up. You might have to maintain what you have and make do with maybe just a little less space. It's what we're all having to do these days, just like the family who owns the home that is the current This Old House renovation project. Now, if you have an old home, you know that they are historical, well-built. They've got lots of characters, but old homes do come with their own set of issues, and maintenance is a big must. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you might associate older homes and think that they're less energy efficient and particularly more drafty, but that's not always the case. In fact, many older and even historic homes were designed for energy conservation. You know, they have wide overhangs, which would provide shade. They have thicker walls for insulation and even deep porches to protect the house itself against the elements. Now, it might just take some extra weather stripping around your doors and windows as a very inexpensive fix for those drafts. And, you know, in fact, anybody could benefit from some extra weather stripping, whether it's an old house or not. Absolutely. Now, the old house that we're in right now has received a 330-square-foot addition that paved the way for a new kitchen, family room, and office space. Before the break, we were talking to the host, Kevin O'Connor. Kevin, I want to talk to you a bit about energy efficiency. What are some of the energy-efficient challenges that you guys had to overcome here, and how do they apply to uh, the rest of America? Yeah, well, we definitely tackled them here, thanks to uh, Richard Trithu and his smarts. And um, with an older house, the, the biggest problem is you've got this existing space that's usually buttoned up. 
Um, and so how do you get into it and make it efficient without sort of spending all of your money doing that? Um, and here we did two things. Uh, in the addition, uh, that 330 square feet of the new space, that was pretty easy, right? Give it the spray foam insulation, mm-hmm. you get a high R value, you get very little air infiltration, um, and you use the right windows with the insulating glass and such. Um, in the old part of the house, uh, we couldn't go and take all of the plaster down and put new insulation in, and we couldn't just get it poured in everywhere. But wherever we touched a room and wherever we touched a space, we made sure that the old insulation came out, if there even was any. Mm-hmm. Most likely there wasn't, I bet. Right. Yeah. Someone at some point had blown in cellulose in this house. Into the wall. Oh, Into the walls. Because right. we have a 1922-23 Dutch Colonial balloon frame, no insulation at yeah. all. Which is what this was originally. Someone along the way um, smartened up and put in cellulose insulation. But we saw the effects of that over the years. It had settled. Mm-hmm. You had big cavities, big pockets where it didn't exist. So we updated it again with a spray foam insulation. That's part of the equation. The other part is we upgraded all of the mechanical systems, and we also changed sort of how they make hot water and how they make the heat. Mm-hmm. So sort of central um, gas furnace that's 15 years old and an old tank-type water heater um, that's, uh, it works, but it's not that efficient. That all goes, and now we have a super efficient condensing boiler. We have an indirect hot water tank, um, and we also introduced radiant heat in the new addition, mm-hmm. which, as you guys know, is a, not just a comfortable way to make heat, but also a very efficient way to make heat. So better insulation, um, tighten up the house wherever we could, and upgrade the mechanical systems mm-hmm. uh, is the way we did it. And on an addition and a renovation, um, it's almost irresponsible not to do that. And I have to say that this is like a This Old House trademark. The boiler room, or the mechanical <laughs> yeah. room, if you will, in, in this case is a wall, is gorgeous. I mean, the fixtures, the piping, right. the tubing, how it all comes together is just, you don't ever want to close it up. You want to look at it. And um, you know what? Um, we're actually recording in the basement of this mm-hmm. house right now. That's where they, that's where we've been set up. I know. I can't stop yeah. looking and at I it. And I was going to set up over near the heating equipment. They said, no, don't do that. Everybody likes to look at that. It's true. It's like the command deck of a sophisticated command submarine, center. you know. It's very it's fancy stuff. But it's the technology that exists. And when you've got a smart mind like Richard Trithui, you definitely should use it. And we love it because there is such rich content there to educate people that um, this technology is out there. These levels of efficiency exist. And if it's done right by the right people, you are going to have yourself a critical part of the house. Yep, you know, absolutely. The mechanical system, a critical part of the house um, done perfectly. And also, you know, because you guys have done such a great job insulating this house, you can actually downsize these systems a little bit. You don't need quite so many BTUs as before because when these homes were built, those heating systems were way bigger than they needed to be because, let's face it, an old house, 1915, you, know, you probably had six to eight air changes per hour in this house. That means the inside air and the outside air are exchanging Six times an hour. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a lot of air to heat. It's crazy to just keep heating that over and over. And now I'm thinking about my freezing little 1920s <laughs> colonial. Thank you again. <laughs> so, Kevin, what's next for this old house? We are currently working on a uh, two-family in Roxbury, Massachusetts. Excellent. It's a neighborhood of Boston. This is our 30th year, so we're going back to our roots, staying close to home. Um, and as this story was about modesty and restraint in the current economic conditions right. uh, and topical, that story in Roxbury is topical as well. It is a foreclosure story. Oh, The house was um, left abandoned and lost to the bank in foreclosure, but we are working with the city and a nonprofit to bring it back, reinvigorate 
deteriorate the street, and then we're going to turn it over um, to two families um, who are of means need to get them in there, and hopefully we'll make an impact uh, on that neighborhood, and for definitely two families. Well, Kevin, congratulations on another great project wrapping up today, and congratulations on 30 years of this old house. Kevin O'Connor, thanks so much for stopping by the Money Pit. Thank you for having me, guys. It's always a pleasure. You are listening to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show, coming to you from the current This Old House project just outside of Boston. Let's get to those phones. We've got some old house calls coming in. Let's take one right now. Leslie, who's up? All right, we've got Mike, who has an old house and wants to know how to save money on his energy costs. Welcome, Mike. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I have a house that was built back in 1895, and it's made of brick. Uh, It's about 3,500 square feet or so. I have three furnaces and three air conditioning units that we use to heat and cool the house. And we put the uh, draft stops under the door and winterize the windows with plastic and stuff. But even with all that, um, during the peak season, our utility bills are outrageous. Um, I kind of feel like I'm putting the utility company's kids through college. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, we know how you feel, and you shouldn't be doing that. But, you know, you're in the same situation, Mike, that a lot of people are. You've got serious drafts in the house, serious energy efficiency issues, and you don't know exactly where to begin. And so in a situation like this, you could not be a better candidate for an energy audit. Now, an energy audit, as you know, Leslie, it's when you bring in a pro that does all the testing and figures out, doesn't speculate, which is what you're doing, Mike, it figures out exactly where all of the losses are in the house. Mm -hmm. And they use pretty high-tech equipment that really notices the spots that are hot and cool, you know, depending on the season, to see where that specific energy loss comes from. That's right. They have infrared cameras Mm -hmm. where they can see cold and hot areas of exterior walls. They have blower door tests where they essentially fill the entire house up with air and then test it for leaks. But these guys can tell you, Mike, where to put those dollars. Maybe the insulation's a good idea. I, I can't imagine it wouldn't be, but I mean, certainly that's a good place to start. But should you replace your windows? Right. And I think also the benefit of the energy audit is, and correct me if I'm wrong, you'll be able to see sort of, they'll give you the calculations as to what would give you the biggest return on your investment and how quickly you can recoup that, correct? That's right. And that's critical information that's missing right now. He doesn't know exactly where he's going to recoup those dollars. So Mm -hmm. should you put in a new door or a new window or insulation or replace your energy efficient lighting, or maybe those three furnaces and air conditioners, it might be time to replace those. For a more efficient model. Exactly. And you know what, Mike, I would start with your utility company. I mean, a lot of companies across the US, they offer their own energy audits of your home. Mm -hmm. But if yours doesn't, I mean, I imagine there are pros that you can hire to do the job. Yeah. And not only that, right now there's a lot of TARP money available. And in some states, I know in my state of New Jersey, for example, they supplement the cost of those energy audits. Oh, that's interesting. In fact, if I wanted to have an energy audit, I was talking to one of the remodelers that does it in my area who happened to be at the remodeler show. And he said that I would pay around 100 and the state gives them about 300 So wow. basically, I'm paying 25% of the cost of that audit. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really fantastic because when you're looking at it, there's really the benefit of you finding out how you can save money, but then it's also your state's energy usage and how green your state specifically can be based on how much your carbon footprint is reduced. Absolutely. So, Mike, get on the phone, get an energy audit, and I think you'll have the information that you need to tackle this project. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show coming to you from the set of the current This Old House renovation. And, you know, this time around, the focus was on really being economical, which truly is the goal for everybody these days. Well, absolutely. You know, millions of you are making do with what you have and trying to make the best of it in the cheapest way possible. Now, this home just outside of Boston was expanded by just 330 square feet, but 
The architect was a genius. He made every inch count. And the rest of the home was pretty much left alone with one major exception. That's right. And here to tell us about that is Tom Silva, this old house's general contractor. Welcome, Tom. Thank you, Leslie and Tom. How are you? We're well. So I understand that there were some pretty serious electrical issues going on with this project. There were some serious issues, yeah. Uh, it's a house built in the uh, early 1900s. Knob and tubing is the wiring system, and it's a great wiring system if you don't... Was it still functioning or had yeah. it been bypassed? Oh, no, it was still functioning. And with knob and tubing uh, wiring, one thing that you do not want to do is insulate the house. Right, because it's an air-cooled system that That's those right. wires are standing off the beam so that air can cool them. And if you insulate them, you make it unsafe. That's right. You can cause a fire. And lots of times, if you do insulate a house that has knob and tubing in it, knowing that, you can actually void your insurance. So no money for a fire. And was it, I mean, as you started getting into the project, did you notice that insulation was right in contact with the knob and tube? Only in a few parts of the house. There, Someone had insulated parts of the house and mm-hmm. other parts were uninsulated. Um, but, I mean, that's a big ticket item when you have an old house and you don't want yeah. to disturb the walls. You've yep. got to work around plaster and you've mm-hmm. got to snake it up the walls, get to the floors above. So... Basically, what we did is run a main line up to the attic and wire the second floor from the attic and the first floor from the basement. Mm -hmm. But it still meant breaking into the brick fire stopping. Back then, they used bricks and mortar. Now we use wood. They could drill it. But a lot of of hard work. I mean, you're looking, round numbers for this house was a little under $10,000 just to rewire the existing structure. But now you have a safe structure Mm -hmm. that now the building is insulated. Mm-hmm. And Tommy, this is not unusual. We get into these renovation projects and there ultimately is a surprise. Do you kind of have a process you go through to try to eliminate some of the unexpected when you're scoping these things out? It's very difficult. I mean, I've been doing this all my life. Uh, I, I grew, grew up in the trades. But uh, professionally, I've been doing it for, well, long <laughs> Well, it's thir- and, the 30th season. You don't look a day over 29. Yeah, so. yeah, right. <laughs> I wish I could go along with that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I can spot a lot of things by looking at a house. I can tell if there's usually a structural problem somewhere. And I knew that there was a little bit of a structural project problem in the kitchen, but I didn't realize it was going to be as bad as it is, as it was. When we took down the kitchen ceiling, we found out that the plumber had totally destroyed some of the header beams that Ooh. carried the floor structure, and it dropped two inches. And those are the surprises that uh, needs a guy with your skills to help solve. Tommy Silva, the general contractor on this old house. Thanks for stopping by the money, but we're going to bring you back a little bit later and get you to answer some this old house questions from our listeners. Sounds good. You know, looking around, I've got to say, Leslie, this is a great finished product. Mm-hmm. The homeowners have got to be exorbitantly happy. Yeah, sure. They're happy now. I mean, but during the renovation, now this was very unusual. The homeowners, they lived here. They went on with life as usual. All right, maybe not, not as exactly usual. as usual. Exactly. But they did go on with their lives in the house, and that's not common, particularly for this old house. So we're going to talk to the homeowners next. All the money fit radio show. Pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home by calling 888 Money Fit. The Money Pit is 
brought to you by Thermatrue Doors, the nation's leading manufacturer of fiberglass entry and patio door systems. Install a new energy-efficient Thermatrue door today and qualify for up to a $1,500 tax credit. To learn more, visit thermatrue.com slash tax credit. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com, where home solutions live. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And we're coming to you today from Newton Center, Massachusetts, where the current season of this old house is just wrapping up production. But before the finished product ever airs, you get to hear a little bit about it right here on the Money Pit today. That's right. You know, old houses, they're well-built, and they certainly have lots of charm, but they do need a little extra TLC. And you may have to upgrade some of your home's major systems. Now, I recently added Central AC to my own home, and it was something that we'd always thought was not possible for our old house and was going to be a giant disaster. Well, it actually wasn't, and it with some clever duct placement and some creative thinking, it really wasn't messy, and you would barely notice it was done. Yeah, and that's a good point. You know, there's another option to central air that is a whole house fan. And this is kind of a larger than attic fan device. It gets installed mm-hmm. in the second floor ceiling. It can pull a breeze throughout every room in the house. So for more great house tips on how to perhaps cool your house or make it more comfortable and more energy efficient, Visit MoneyPit.com and search Maintaining an Older Home. Now, with this old house, it's certainly fun watching these projects from start to finish. But what is it like living through them? Ah, good question. So we're going to ask the homeowners. We've got joining us right now Bill and Jillian Pierce. Welcome, guys. (laughs) Thank you. Welcome. You guys must be very excited. This is the last day of production and hence the last day of construction. We are thrilled it's great. after six months yeah it's great to see this finally come to a close and we're so happy with the results now this was highly unusual i mean generally when this old house takes on a project it's a major renovation we're gutting things from start to finish right. and people are gone now this was a smaller project for the team and you guys were right in the mix of it i mean how there was, a was big discussion it? about that at the beginning uh, because you know tom and we and the, and the people who are you know on the television crew, the camera crew, were discussing uh, whether it would work, whether we could pull it off. And and Tom right. felt Tom felt strongly that we could, and so we we always wanted to do it because we thought that the money you'd spend uh, renting a place, especially mm-hmm. in the Boston area, would not be. Uh, it would be better spent on the house itself. Yeah, and it's true. This is a smaller project for this old house, and most of the existing house really wasn't touched. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have a kitchen. I think that was the biggest challenge. But we did have most of our regular living spaces. So, you know, we had to uh, work around the dust and the disruption sometimes. But really, it wasn't that bad. The, the kitchen was the biggest challenge. If well, we had, if we had it to do over again, though, I think we would put more of our stuff in storage. We would have moved <laughs> out more completely. <laughs> well, you guys have had to do what millions of Americans have, have had to do right now, and that is to kind of prioritize and decide where to put uh, the few dollars that we all have left these days mm-hmm. to where it does the most good. Now, Jillian, I know that you're a good cook. In fact, I heard from some of the team here that you actually were cooking up some treats for them now and again, keeping everybody happy. In the happy. basement. She had, yeah. <laughs> she had the stove in the basement. She was cooking. But now you've got a completely redesigned kitchen. Tell me about some of the issues that you went through in deciding uh, how that space was going to work for you. Well, um, you know, we, we wanted to maximize the amount of space we would have for kind of living in the kitchen, eating and gathering. But, of course, we also wanted to get some high-tech appliances in there. So we didn't have a lot of space for gadgets or toys. So we, we have a nice gas range in there. 
Um, we've got a lot of refrigerator space, but you know, not a lot of bells and whistles, just right. really functional things. That's what we focused on. Mm-hmm. Now, I noticed you guys were really serious about sticking to a certain budget and keeping things within the parameters of what you'd set aside. Now, was it that you'd accomplished everything with the house so well that you had extra money for the garage? Or did you see that the garage really needed some fixing up as well and sought out extra cash? Yeah, well, we actually we set aside money to do the project, and then we decided uh, to to get a loan, and you know, to get an equity loan, and make sure that that we could do those last little things that would make a big difference. The garage had been a problem from the beginning because it was leaking not just the, the roof, but the sides. It was mm. rusty. Oh it was an old metal building, oh, uh, so you couldn't just you know reside a little bit of it. It was it was. Uh, there I think wasn't a Sears a and Roebuck special right. from 1945. Yeah, it really wasn't a functional building, and as this beautiful new addition started to go up, it just looked worse and worse by comparison. <laughs> right. We knew we had to straighten the driveway as part of the project, and so. Making a nice new driveway to leave up, lead up to that rusty structure just didn't seem like a smart decision long one term. We, one thing we did in the kitchen was open up the back and the side with a lot of windows, mm-hmm. and they really framed that old rusty garage beautifully. <laughs> right? That was our view. <laughs> well, we thought we could know. do better than that. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, you know, doing home improvement, it's a lot like uh, driving a train. It takes a lot of energy to get it going. But you don't want to stop. So I think you guys did exactly the right thing. We Bill, tried to show Jillian, Pierce, thank you so much for allowing us to come here to your home and, and teach our all of our listeners about what it's like to live through a renovation and build the home of their dreams. Thanks. Thank Congratulations. Enjoy it. It's beautiful. Oh, thank you very much. All right. Well, up next, no matter how old your house is, you'd better hope that the plumbing and heating systems keep chugging along. Absolutely. Yeah, right. Well, one guy that knows just how to do that is Rich Trithui, the plumbing and heating expert on the This Old House team. We're going to hear his tips next. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. We are on the set of the current This Old House Project just outside of Boston in Newton Center, Massachusetts. We're giving you a sneak peek into the newly renovated home. And you won't get to see the finished project on TV until just a bit later this season, the 30th season of TV's This Old House on PBS. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. I know I've personally been watching it for as long as I can remember, which is the 30 years. And both Tom and I own one of these older houses, or pretty much old homes. And they're beautiful and well-made, but older homes do have a lot of things to be aware of, you know, like old plumbing. And it could consist of steel pipes, which are prone to clogs because of internal rusting. You know, they sort of close up like arteries. And they will eventually burst or even have drastically reduced water pressure. So here to talk more about old house plumbing issues, we've got Richard Trithui, plumbing and heating expert. He wanted me to mess up his last name. Yeah, no, you did (laughs) perfectly. You did perfectly. Hey, Rich. How are you? We're good, and uh, you've done a lot of work in this house. Why don't you give us a sort of an overview of what work you did do? Well, this was a 20-style house, and so it would have started with a coal-fired heating boiler that would have had no circulator pump and had big, big steel pipes all the way through the basement. You'd hit your head everywhere you went. Right. And there was big radiators. And so we wanted to keep the radiators, but we wanted to modernize. So we got rid of all the steel pipe and we fished this new super plastic called PEX Mm -hmm. to each of the radiators. And we made every radiator its own zone. And what that allowed us to do was to have a full-blown basement that the kids can have as a playroom. 
and it was really great. It's, uh, and we also upgraded all the plumbing piping so that uh, we can leave here and know that it's going to be good for the next 50 years. I think years. there's some plumbing upgrading going on right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's good that we could have our studio here in the middle of the highway. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I mean, our studio that we've set up in the house is right by your control center that mm-hmm. you've built down here in the yep. basement. And yep. your buddy Tommy Silva, you know, off air sort of walked us through this yep. a little bit. And he yep. said that you really are the mastermind of all of this. And I think it's so interesting how you married these two systems. I mean, PEC's so advanced. Mm. Cast iron radiators. Not so much. That's right. How do the you old get and the, the new. The yin and the yang. Yeah, exactly. yeah, how do you get them to speak to one another yeah. and allow everything to play nicely? Well, you have individual control supply to each one of these radiators and then local control to say yes or no to whether that radiator gets heat. So the zoning in every room. But then beyond that, back at the boiler, we put in this new modern gas-fired condensing boiler. And condensing boiler means it extracts every bit of the heat. 96 cents out of every dollar becomes usable heat into the, into the building. And, and what's so left is, is water vapor. A little bit of water vapor right. and a little flue that goes up the, a, a, specially, a special pipe and a little bit of water that has to go down the drain. So we, we just take every bit of that heat and then we gently heat the boiler. And I, when I say gently, we know how cold it is outside. So most, most heating boilers or furnaces, you turn the thermostat up and it just fires up mm-hmm. to 200 degrees and then it shuts right. off. It's sort of like having a, an automobile with one gas pedal at full blast mm-hmm. and a brake. This thing, we always know, and we just put the right amount of water, and now the water circulates all the time through the radius, but just it's at a mild temperature. And it starts getting colder, the water gets a little hotter, and you don't notice, and you're always 68 in every room. Always and perfect. that's all controlled through one central thermostat? Well, it's actually through one brain that's down at the boiler that says, I feel it's getting colder. Okay, I'm going to make a little hotter water temperature. And it really becomes this saving story of cruise control on your automobile versus stop and go. So there's no thermostat in the house? There are local thermostats, but their role is only to say, I don't want to overheat this room. You know, the, the real control is done down at the boiler to say, I'm not going to let any thermostat fire my burner. I'm going to let my little brain look at how cold it is outside and just govern the amount of water temperature that goes out to the system. So control systems have come a long Absolutely. way, Richard. It used to be just one thermostat, yeah. set it and forget it. And yeah. now we can measure the outside temperature. We can measure the inside temperature. We can yeah. adjust the heat and the BTUs. Yeah. And that makes it incredibly efficient. That's where the savings are. We, we, we really have to find a way because everybody wants to oversize the equipment. Everybody wants to put in the way big a piece of equipment so they get plenty of power on the coldest day. But that coldest day rarely happens. I mean, mm-hmm. it happens in the Boston area. It happens about 14 hours a year. Really? Yeah. We've designed for this condition that some some winters it never happens. And then on mm-hmm. average over the last 65 right. years, it happens 14 hours a year. So how do you offset the fact that you need that full power on the coldest day? When well, you, you do it, it by changing the control method, by just having it be able to modulate or put lower temperature water and circulate water like a Ferris wheel going through all the radiators all season long, but just changing gradually. Now, so. how much of an investment is this type of system? Are we looking at you know twenty, thirty thousand dollars, and will you recoup that? Well, this was this was a major rehab, and it was driven as much by trying to gain space and mm-hmm. down in this basement and so right. so. Uh, but the, the the basic addition of a smart control on a boiler is. It's a five hundred to a thousand dollar investment, and that pays itself back in no time. And I mean, that it really does. Makes yeah. a the lot. other thing, the other thing that you get from it is not just the savings, though. It is the comfort that right now, you in most houses, you turn up the thermostat and the boiler fires up or the furnace comes on, and then you hear the pinging and tinging of the hot water going through the baseboard. Mm-hmm. Right. And then it satisfies the thermostat and then shuts off and you feel cold again. 
This just lets it run all the time. Plus, there's a fair amount of springboarding of thermostats that goes on by these things we call humans. You know, you get silly. That's right. You throw it up. That's it right. overheats the house. Yeah. You turn it That's down. Right. And then, of course, the kids open a window or something like That's that right. and they do That's something right. crazy. Yeah. So, hey, we're talking to Richard Trithui. He is the plumbing and heating expert for this old house in its 30th season. Richard, before we let you go, let's talk a little bit about old house plumbing in general. Uh, most common problem we get a lot of questions on, steel pipes. Mm-hmm. Always a replacement? Well, it's it's galvanized steel during the uh, probably the late 20s up until the post-war era, probably into the early 50s. It well, That was the pipe of choice, mm-hmm. and it yep. was galvanized steel. It had a coating on it that... Uh, seemed to hold up on the outside, but over time on the inside, by usually by v- the velocity of the water, it would sc- scrape away that coating, and then you would just get this layer of ferrous oxide, this rust, and it would just close down, close down. The short answer is, if you've got galvanized and ex- exposed, it should, you should get rid of it. Only a matter of time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. going to get the pressure generally, it generally forces your hand because the right. pressure gets less, and people ignore the fact that they're drinking rusty water that they don't even know. Right. (laughs) And uh, I also have to congratulate you. I understand today is World Toilet Day. It is. Is that true? It is true. It's World Toilet Day. Did you get me anything? Anything? I I looked for a Hallmark card. (laughs) That's in aisle six. Unfortunately, (laughs) to my shock and surprise, they did not. World Toilet Day. Richard And if they did, it would be made out of toilet paper. It would be. (laughs) Richard Ruthui from TV's This Old Mm -hmm. House. Thanks so much for stopping by the yeah, Money Pit. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Glad you really here. taught us a whole lot. Thank you. Try. You are listening to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. Up next, do you know exactly how old your house is? You know, if you do, it can give you a heads up for what's likely to need fixing. We're going to have a tip on how you can date your own house next. You live in a Money Pit. Where home solutions live. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Broadcasting today just outside of Boston in Newton Center, Massachusetts, where the This Old House cast and crew has just finished up Season 30 by building a 330-square-foot addition for the Pierce family. Well, you don't have to have an old house to have issues in your home. Each era of home construction has had some sort of advances and some kind of duds. Absolutely. Well, to find out if your home might have dangerous aluminum wiring or problematic steel pipes, you want to search home repairs needed by the age of your house at moneypit.com, and you can learn more about what you might find in your home. That's right. And if you're trying to figure out how to date a house, there are a few clues that you can look for inside your house. And I'm going to welcome back to the program right now Tom Silva, the show's general contractor, to talk through some of those. Hey, Tommy. How are you? So we're trying to figure out how old a house is. Now, the trick I always have is because I spent so many years in home impro- in home inspection that we use the toilet mm-hmm. because the toilet is always dated when it was made. And generally, you know, they're not making them and have them sit around for several years. They're making them and putting them in. So you can open up the lid of your toilet, look inside, and it usually has the last two digits of the year. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. Now, how about you? What about some tricks of your turn? Uh, I like the bones. I go into the bones. I figure if it's brace frame, balloon frame, timber frame, I, I look at that because that's the kind of stuff that I, I like to do anyway. It's always interesting. Balloon framers got their name because timber framed timber framers named them that because the, the structure was so light they thought it was going to blow away. Mm-hmm. Oh, is that right? I didn't know that. Yeah. That's yeah, really interesting. Cool. Yeah, and every era of construction had its strengths and weaknesses, and it's always amazing to me that we're still building homes today, much like we did, 
you know, 100 to 200 years ago, the oh, yeah. framed wall was is still the framed wall. That's right. That's right. We're it's still a fast, setting them up like we're still setting them up like Swiss cheese and everything else is to close <laughs> them in. in. Right? Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, if you don't mind, I'd love to ask you one of our email questions All right, from give it a our shot. audience. All right. Pat in Connecticut writes, I have a 90-year-old house that badly needs a new roof. The roof surface area is huge and made up of several parts, including a covered porch. Does it make sense to do the project in sections to make it more affordable? And what about using less expensive materials on some of the smaller areas? Wow. Well, it depends on your budget. You could do sides of a building, but you don't want to do sections of the same facade. But I would always pick a good quality roof material that's going to last. You're not going to save any money over the long run. You're just going to redo it sooner. Yeah, because the devil's in the details, especially when you have a roof that's got a lot of angles to it. It's not going to leak on the roof surface on the flat. It's going right. to leak where everything comes together. Or right. any protrusions. Right. I mean, it's, if you're going to use a 50-year roof, you want to use a 50-year flashing. Right. If you're going to use a 25-year roof, then you use a 25-year flashing. You save money everywhere. It's a cheaper roof, but the life is shorter. What's your feeling on existing roofing material? Remove it? Leave it? Are there situations when one's better than the other? I never go over anything. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in it. I, I believe in stripping it off, lighten the load. Nail off the structure, tighten the connection between the sheathing and the and the roof itself. Tighten that building. I mean, that, that building moves all the time, with the uh, wind and rain and everything. That it's always moving. Tighten the structure up, lessen the lessen the building from moving, and lessen some cracking from happening. Also, and you know, Tommy, what I always notice, I spent twenty years as a professional home inspector, and when I saw a second roof, if the first roof lasted twenty years, the second layer would only last say fifteen or That's maybe right. less. You're not going to get the life out of it. Yeah. So you're just about done today. Today's the big uh, wrap party. Today's the big wrap party. That's right. Yeah. I bet you uh, really enjoy when you get to this point in the project. I love the finish, but I love being there through the whole process because I'm here almost every single day. Yeah, that's and right. And they're long days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's luck- lucky that you live in the neighborhood. So <laughs> well, Tom, thanks so much for stopping by the Money Pit, and, and thanks for giving us the opportunity to broadcast here again and from your job site. Well, it's nice to have you as always, and it's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm coming to you from the set of This Old House, Season 30, just outside of Boston. Be sure to check local PBS listings for This Old House and ask This Old House. The show continues online at MoneyPit.com. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And I'm Tom Silver. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.